Welcome to another episode of the Sports Mecca Podcast with my colleague Sam Hengeli. I'm your host, Stephen Abramo. Today, we have the great opportunity to speak with longtime Kansas Athletics beat reporter Tom Keegan. Tom, I'm happy that you're able to come on and talk to us. Yeah, I'm happy you asked me. Thanks for remembering. Yeah, Sam, Sam was really the one that was like pulling the strings here. Uh, he was like really orchestrating uh, this podcast, but um, uh, but you know we're both of us are both in Kansas City. Uh, are you are you in Boston right now? No, we moved to um, uh, Michigan City, Indiana. I've been. Um, uh, looking for work and then stringing for two newspapers covering high school games and doing features. Uh, I know Sam has a lot of questions he'd like to ask you. Um, I have a few questions that I like to ask. So, um, but I'll kind of just start um, for you. You know, you grew up in Rochester, New York um, in, on the East coast, kind of talk a little bit about really how you became a follower of sports and then just, kind of really got into sports writing yeah i was uh, lucky that uh i was one of 10 children and uh including five brothers four of them older brothers so not only did i get into sports at a very young age i, I got into the best uh, era of music ever when i was very young way ahead of my classmates you know because i was into the 60s music before they knew about it if they didn't have older siblings so I was real lucky in that regard, and then, uh, you know, running up the street, we found out who the two track stars in the family were going to be, and it wasn't me. Uh, I was fast, but not like these guys, and uh, that was because in the afternoon, the dogs would start barking when the afternoon paper was going to be delivered, and we just sprint up the street. The first one to hear the dog barking, you know, the race was on to try to get the, the paper to see the late scores, the box scores. Because uh, we each had a favorite player, and we wanted to see how our favorite player did. We got the morning paper and the afternoon paper to show you how times have changed. And you know, we played. Our yard was huge uh, backyard with the woods backed up to it, so we played wiffle ball in the backyard, and then um, basketball in the driveway, and football in the backyard, and just all sports all the time. And then. I enjoyed reading, and that's the best way to become a writer is to read a lot. Mm-hmm. Did you did you follow the Rochester Americans, the AHL team? I sure did, and the, by coincidence, the first feature I was asked to do in Indiana was on an Indiana native who's playing for the Amherst this year as a defenseman. It's his first pro season uh, after a four-year college career. So that was kind of a neat coincidence. And I see that they played five games and he's off to a really good start. Yeah. The, I, I kind of wanted to you know, ask you that. I knew a little bit about some of the local uh, professional teams there. And, you know, it's different growing up on the East coast. Cause you know, Sam and I, we've lived in Kansas for whole lives and we don't really get the, you don't get much hockey. And I mean, we have obviously the chiefs and the Royals, but it's kind of more college based. Um, uh, before we kind of transition to just, I guess, your Jayhawk uh, career covering that, how much of uh, college sports did you follow 
uh, when you were growing up on the East Coast? Well, I followed Notre Dame because my father and my oldest brother, who's 10 years older than me, both graduated from Notre Dame, one in 1941 and one in 1971. And my father's yearbook, uh, the captain of the basketball team, my father's senior year, my father didn't play uh, sports there, although he's an excellent golfer. And if they had punters, he says he would have been Notre Dame's punter, but they didn't have specialists then. But um, uh, so the captain of the basketball team was none other than Ray Meyer. Uh, we have his old yearbook, and you see Ray Meyer as a senior, the old DePaul coach for the Notre Dame team. And then uh, so we rooted for Notre Dame. And then Syracuse was just down the road, so I was a Syracuse basketball fan and then became a Marquette basketball fan when my brother Dan, who's four years older, went to Marquette. So I followed them, and I ended up going there. Four of the ten of us graduated from Marquette. So, yeah, I've been following college sports my whole life, and first football game I ever went to, be it high school or anything, uh, was, was Syracuse University. I forget the opponent, but I remember the backfield. The backfield was Floyd Little and Larry Zonka. And both of those guys are in the Hall of Fame. So uh, it got quite a baptism to football right there. And Ben Schwartzwalter was a World War II hero. He was the coach. And I remember my father thinking he was too conservative a coach and ran the ball. Much. I was probably six years old when I went to my first football game. And then I ended up going to a couple of Bills games when I was in high school when OJ was with the Bills and he saw him rush for over 200 yards in a real big snowstorm. He was amazing. Man. Wow. wow. Uh, unfortunately, Sam and I can't uh, can't say that we watched uh, you know games in the 70s and 80s. We're uh, we're a little young, but uh, we. <laughs> um, Sam, I know you've had like a couple of questions you've kind of wanted to ask about Kansas to start. Uh, yeah, so uh, Bill Self has been uh, – his tenure is very historical. You can definitely argue that he's like the greatest coach in KU history. It'd be between him and Fog Allen, I believe. Um, so when they did, when they hired Bill Self, uh, with the success he's had, uh, do you think anybody who in college basketball that KU could have hired instead of Self could have uh, accomplished what he's accomplished? Or is Bill Self just like – just different than everybody else. Well, I think it was the absolute perfect fit. And to answer your question, no, I don't think they could have hired anybody else because when you're at, uh, really have it humming in a place the way Mike Krzyzewski does at Duke, the way Roy Williams does right now at uh, Kansas, at, at, uh, at North Carolina, you're not going to leave those jobs just like Bill Self wouldn't leave this job for another one. So, no, I think they absolutely nailed it with the best possible hire, and I don't think it was real difficult. I think he was an obvious choice as opposed to when Roy Williams was hired and was the number three assistant, the number two or three assistant for Dean Smith. That was a a real find and a a real good hiring job. Uh, But, no, I, I think Self was the obvious choice. He went after the job. And they got the right guy. They didn't screw it up. Yeah. And then, uh, okay, so uh, Mark Mangino, a very successful coach at KU. Uh, what was your, like, impression of him? And, like, when he got when he was forced to resign, did you ever see any signs of, like, something like that happening? Like, if, when you're, like, talking to the players or other coaches, those are, like, signs of him, like, just, like, 
the things that they end up having to resign for end up like hap- happening because of some things that might have happened? No, I think it, he was a tough, tough coach. Everybody motivates in a different way, and that was his style. But look at the results. I mean, uh, terrific. And if you look at the players who complained about him, uh, none of the really good players did. You know, football's not supposed to be fun. You don't see kids, when they're playing as little kids, putting their heads down and running into a tree as fast as they can. And that's pretty much what football is. Basketball is a more fun sport to play. Uh, you know, but the, what makes football fun is the pride in doing it together and winning. So um, I think Lou Perkins came at it from a very much a basketball background. Lou was a very good high school basketball player um, in the Boston area and then had a knee injury. Otherwise, he would have uh, been hurt from, hurt from more at Iowa where he was uh, came off the bench had a bad knee didn't play much, was sort of at the end of the bench. But his whole existence was more geared toward basketball. He was a successful basketball coach, South Carolina Aiken. Uh, so he was a basketball guy through and through. And at UConn, of course, the women's and the men's teams were the best there were. Uh, and then the, he hired the right football coach to get it going, but he's not really a football guy. So he sort of misread that situation. Uh, thought it should be like basketball, like the players should be as thrilled uh, as basketball players are to be playing, and it's just not that that way. They were thrilled to be winning, and that that was enough for those players. And and Mangino uh, was a heck of a coach, and it's almost like Kansas being punished <laughs> ever since by the football gods for uh, firing a guy who took a very very difficult job at a really tough conference. And completely turned around a program with slow growth. Slow growth is real growth. Mm-hmm. Yeah, one of, one of, yeah, uh, one of, yeah. I was like, I'm still like years after I guess being Jufar. I actually have a have a, had a friendship with uh, Dexton Fields, and I got to talk to him a little bit about Mangino. He, and he said like nothing but positive things about the guy, and I think that's what also made that 07 team really special. Is because how much. They really fought in the Mangino system. They wanted to like play for him as well as the university, and it was just like everything just like came together, and it and it really paid off. Yeah, and speaking of Dustin Fields, uh, a great Kansas basketball player was cousins with Dixon Fields. You know who that was? Darrell Arthur. <laughs> yes. Yeah. How about that family? Uh, certainly did well by Kansas. Dixon Fields was an outstanding receiver, number eighty-eight. Uh, he really was tough. Uh, you know, he was there at a time when, uh, you know, I think he overlapped with Kerry uh, uh, Meyer as a receiver. and, uh, De- De- and Desmond Briscoe? And Desmond Briscoe. So you didn't hear as much about Fields, but he was terrific. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I think he was like, was he, the, was he the lead receiver in the Orange Bowl game? I think I remember. That could be, yeah. Yeah. Uh, I remember when I think of that Orange Bowl, I think of a Keith Tlaib's interception. Oh yeah, high stepping in the end zone, baby. Um, that was a big six. What a what a player he was. Um, I'm kind of you know, uh, you know, Sam has asked you a couple of questions about you know Mark Mangino, the football, a little bit of the football program, and then Bill Self. I'm just kind of curious, just you personally, 
Tom, like how you kind of like got started covering Kansas athletics uh, and then just kind of what your knowledge of, of Kansas was before you maybe started working and covering for them? Yeah, um, I was uh, at the time the paper was owned by Dolph Simons. The Simons family owned it for he's a hundred years or whatever. And uh, uh, so Dolph Simons is very, very uh, serious, took great pride in, in making it a major newspaper, even though it was small circulation. So he actually hired Dave Smith, a famous sports editor who was retired. Dave Smith turned the Boston Boston Globe into a great sports section, then went to Dallas and did the same with the Dallas Morning News. He hired him. He knew him somehow. Hired him to do a national search for a sports editor, sports columnist. And uh, they hired me, and I came in. I'd never stepped foot in the state of Kansas. <laughs> so the job interview, and, um, you know, I used to like to watch Big 12 basketball. Uh, I, I watched Kansas get crushed by um, uh, North Carolina State in that bowl game. But other than that, I didn't have much background in Kansas sports at all. And I just, uh, I was writing a book, so I delayed my start for a few weeks, few months rather, sorry, and uh, really read up on the history of Kansas sports and came in, uh, you know, I felt like I had, caught up as well as you possibly can and uh it's a ground running mm-hmm. yeah because you started in 2005 right that's very good yes okay. the fall of 2005 august 15th i think was my first day there okay um so you know from uh from 2005 until really your entire uh career covering the jayhawks um i am curious like uh, what's like a memorable moment that you had when you covered Kansas basketball? I mean, it, it can be like when you first started or it can be in the middle of your tenure or final tenure. Um, and then I guess I would say the same thing for Kansas football. Yeah. For Kansas, uh, well, and, and I'll start with my greatest moment ever covering Kansas athletics was, to watch uh, in San Diego, I believe it was San Diego, and to watch the volleyball team come from 13-9 down against the number one overall seed, USC, who had the National Player of the Year on the team. And they win that that uh, match 15-13 to and made it to the Final Four for the first time in school history. So to me, that was just to watch that dog pile after they did that at one in the morning, Kansas time or whatever it was, was <laughs> number one. But basketball, the moment that sticks out for me is just watching Tyshawn Taylor, who'd been through some struggles. You know, he got in his own way a little. Good kid. But he just kind of get in trouble here and there, you know. So he uh, led the team back from, I think it was 18 down against Missouri in the uh, the last game before the series was interrupted, and, uh, you know, they, they win that game in overtime. It was just a phenomenal game and a phenomenal poor, a performance by Tyshawn Taylor. So that would be my basketball memory. And uh, the, the football memory uh, actually was um, uh, Todd Reesing's first start. He was a sophomore 
in his first start. It uh, might have been against Stephen F. Austin. Anyway, he was just phenomenal. I just thought he was amazing. So the lead I wrote was, every Heisman, this is the first start of his career, the opener of the season, his sophomore season. Every Heisman uh, trophy campaign has to begin somewhere. Might as well be right here in your hands for Todd Reasons. And Todd did end up getting uh, some Heisman votes that year, not just mine. So you remember that because it was a good call. I, I could tell how special he was, and he had a phenomenal year that year. Yeah, wasn't it? I re- yeah, I remember watching that uh, volleyball team in 2015. Like, I really saw. I really that team was like really fun to watch, and like I don't really watch a lot of volleyball, but like just watching that team was really special that year. And then, uh, and then that. Basketball, Tyshawn Taylor. Uh, one of, he was like one of, one of the most loved hate players I think in KU history. Like people really criticized him a lot. They everybody. All I heard was like how he turned the ball over a lot. But when his senior year came, he was just unstoppable. He was like getting the basket, making shots. Uh, he was very uh, fun to watch. And then Todd Reesing was definitely the best quarterback he was had i mean in my lifetime at least uh that probably will be forever in my opinion most likely um but uh yeah i remember i remember i think uh wasn't it well didn't like todd reesing come in against like colorado in 06 when he was a freshman for Kerry meyer and then i and then they won that game because i remember i was attending that was like my first ku football game i went to am i correct on that tom Yes, and uh, he ran 60 yards or something on one play. He wasn't fast. He was elusive. And I remember uh, up until he came into that game, and it was at home, uh, people thought he was going to redshirt. And Bill Self used to come at halftime uh, and visit with the writers, uh, come from his suite during football games. He loves football. And he came by and said hello to me, and I said, hold on, look. Reasoning's warming up. I think he's. They're going to take the red shirt off, and sure enough, they did. And he led him to victory. And the rest was history. He's just an amazing, amazing player. And he's he's doing a great job professionally as a, a mutual funds. He gets uh, brokerage houses or investment firms or whatever you call them to carry their product. And then you know he works for David Booth. The uh, Booth Family Hall of Athletics is the same Booth, uh, is named after David Booth and his brother, I think, or their parents or something. But uh, he's just a a winner. Uh, You know, it's not surprising that he would do great in his professional life as well. Was was, uh, Todd Reeson and Tyshawn Taylor like your two favorite players to cover? Or do you have a couple like different ones? Uh, You know, uh, Reason certainly was in terms of watching, uh, definitely. Um, as far as others, uh, I really like the uh, Kelsey Payne and Anisi Havili uh, combo because they reminded me of Magic and uh, Kareem so much watching them play volleyball. Uh, but and others, um, and there were so many of them. Uh, you know. Uh, as far as a two just terrific, terrific guys to deal with, were, and they were very close friends, Devontae Graham and Spee. 
Mikhailuk or however you want to pronounce it, were uh, just so down to earth. And it, it, you know, here's he comes from uh, Ukraine, not knowing anybody, primitive English at, at first, you know, such a bright kid, it didn't take him long. And so think about how intimidating that would be. And Devante Graham, because he's such a people person and such a natural leader, immediately comes becomes his best friend so that he would have a best friend so that if he had any questions, he, he had somebody he could go to. He had the most personable guy on campus as his best friend so he could meet anybody and everybody. Uh, so that was a really neat story behind the story that, that makes college athletics, uh, you know, something that can't be paralleled in the, at the pro level. Yeah, I mean, those two... I mean, those Devontae Graham and Kyler really grew, I think, as as Jayhawks in their tenure. And I think a big reason why the 2018 team, you know, they they struggled a little bit, you know, early in the season. Um, But once March hit and then the NCAA tournament came, those two really blossomed and they really had a special connection playing together. I think that's why maybe the 2018 team was able to get to a Final Four was because they had so much experience. from, I mean, they obviously had, you know, the Gerald Vick uh, that was helping too, but the so the chemistry that McCulloch and Graham had and the experience really helped him. Uh, um, yeah, and, and I think Graham was just a man on a mission. He played very poorly, shot very poorly in the loss to Oregon the previous year to get bounced, um, what was that, Elite Eight, I think. Yeah. I think it was in Kansas City, and uh, yeah, I was. I actually went to that game. <laughs> yeah, Sam has a lot. Sam has still has scars from that game. Scars. <laughs> like, like, what's that? <laughs> uh, no, but like just like bad memories. It's it's like oh, I, I thought for sure that team was going to get to a Final Four and win a national championship. Like Frank Mason was just. On a mission that year, just like Devontae was in 2018, and then you just had Josh Jackson just looked like one of the best freshmen in the country. It was, and it was like their first three tournament games too. They were put, they were just like they looked like a buzzsaw out there, and then they absolutely just like put it to uh, Purdue, which people thought that Swanigan was just gonna like with the size. It's going to be too much, but Kay was just able to like just hit. It just felt like every shot was going in and playing, playing, uh, playing forty. I think about like it's about forty minutes from Lawrence to uh, downtown KC, and and then basically a home game, and you were playing Oregon, which my sister lives in Oregon, and it's like really hard to get get a good get a cheap ticket out there. So they pretty much had like the home court advantage, and it and then seeing them just like. Just shoot, play so poorly, just gives me bad memories. Yeah. Well, I tell you, it reminded me a lot at the time of 2011 when they lost the Virginia Commonwealth. Jack uh. uh, Smart was the coach because Kansas was just blowing people away. The two nights previous um, blew away Richmond, and, and BCU didn't look so hot that night. Same with this one. Oregon didn't look so hot. They won. They got got into that game by winning by a point or two. I can't remember who they played, whether it was Iowa or some. I think it was Florida State. Florida State, okay, but they didn't look good. And, and um, you know, and so everyone just kind of thought Kansas would be in the Final Four, and neither year it, 
it just didn't happen either year. <laughs> I remember the um, uh, Morris twins and Taylor were juniors the year that the yeah. VCU yeah. was. I actually didn't normally make threes. Made threes for VCU, and that's, uh, that's, that's basketball, you know? Yeah. Uh, yeah, Sam and I will always go back and forth about, like, how there's a few NC tournament games where teams that aren't really good three-point shooting teams will go off against Kansas in an NC tournament game. Uh, I kind of wanted your thoughts. Um, out of all the NC tournament games that you saw KU playing, what do you think was – I mean, you're. I mean, you report what happened, so I don't know how much uh, fandom you had covering the games. But just like from watching it, watching on like the players' face, maybe after the game, like what was kind of the most painful loss you kind of witnessed in the, I think in the tournament? Two, yeah, those two right there, and you felt for Devonte Graham because uh, he took the whole blame uh, on himself you know he, he stepped up and said that was me if I had just made a few shots and so that certainly was a big one another one was the VCU one I mentioned then there was Northern Iowa and when Ali Farouk Manoush went off uh, and that was another one that was a big one I covered the uh, Bradley uh, upset when a year after Bucknell beat him in the first round, Bradley did the the big center. Uh, I think he was a freshman that year, a sophomore. I think maybe a freshman for Bradley hit a half court shot at, at halftime, and that was just kind of a bad omen. I believe it put Bradley up by ten at that point, and uh, you know just gave him momentum going into the second half when you end the half with a bonus three points like that. Uh, so those are the ones. It come right to mind. Yeah, you know, another one was uh, when they lost to Stanford, but that's because um, uh, you know their best best player, Joel Joel Embiid, who I considered him to be the best player more so than Wiggins, uh, didn't play. He had a stress fracture of the foot, and Wiggins uh, Wiggins was something like one for four from the field. He looked to me like he already had one foot in the NBA. And, uh, yeah, it was that Stanford game. One thing I remember, Connor Frankamp looked like KU's best player in that tournament. Like, he was, like, the only offense it seemed like KU got in that 2014 tournament. And, and it was definitely it was definitely t- tough to watch because we had so many, like, high expectations with, with Wiggins, and we thought that KU was going to be really, really talented with him and Embiid. And, we it would have so uh, if MB would have played in that tournament, do you think KU could have made it to at least the Elite Eight and possibly a Final Four with Embiid? Yeah, I think anything was possible with Embiid. I'll never forget uh, Fred Hoiberg just blown away by how good Embiid was. Uh, this was when others weren't quite talking about him the same way uh, up in Ames, Iowa, when Embiid was just doing some stuff on the baseline that was just. <laughs> It was like ballet. But here's this seven-footer who was just phenomenal. And, uh, you know, you never know what how they could have done. I mean, maybe they would have lost to Sanford. Who knows? But they certainly had a shot to make a deep run. Um, but, boy, what a clinker. What a way to go out. Total clinker. Mm-hmm. <laughs> 
Yeah, def- definitely. Um, so, so I guess we'll backtrack a little bit. So 2009, 2010, one of the most interesting things happens during this time. So the KU football team and the KU basketball team get into this huge fight and, uh, Tyshawn Taylor breaks his thumb in the fight, and he had, like, the Morris twins shoving down Chris Harris Jr. So do you think there was, like, do you think that kind of started a little bit the downfall of KU football? Because I think they were, like, four and, like, three and oh at this time, and then they go, like, two and seven and miss a bowl game the rest of the year. And then also KU would end up losing to, uh, to Northern Iowa. Do you think that fight had a huge effect on those two programs, like, just during the season? Absolutely no effect whatsoever. What had a huge effect was, uh, and they were five at all, and then they went zero and seven, and that coincides pretty well with Lou Perkins launching the investigation mm. into Mark. You know, uh, you know, maybe they were five and two when he did that. And when that happens, and you know, it's like if you creative tension would be a style I'd say Mangino had, and when you have the AD come in and cut that tension going to be hard to motivate those players to play at the same level and they don't feel like they're all in it together anymore they feel like they're in a fishbowl and everyone's watching and some people are against the coach you know people are being encouraged to be against the coach by the coach's boss and uh so that's really what that had to do with and it was recent senior year and for a few Two games, uh, uh, maybe four or five games, he had a strained hamstring, and that really uh, restricted him. He needed to be on the go, and they were able to box him in the pocket during the time when his hamstrings were strained. And then you could see at the end of the year when they almost beat Missouri that he was better, you know. But So those, to me, were the big factors, cutting the tension with an in-season investigation, which was bizarre and then uh, reasoning to hamstring injury. You know, another thing that was <laughs> funny, you know, they were 5-0, and and their, uh, week, their week six game was against Colorado. That was when they had, if I remember, they had that, like, controversial pass interference on Kerry Meyer, right? You know, I was at the game covered it, and that rings a vague, vague, vague bell, but I wouldn't have been able to pull that out. Yeah, but it was like I, a. Oh, you, know, I, you can put it on the refs, but, uh, you know. <laughs> but hey, if Candace would have come out, and that was a game that they lost late, you know, and if Candace yep. would have come down with the win, they'd be 6 0, they'd be bowl eligible. I mean, I'm not saying they would have won the Big 12, but it, it might have saved the season, I would think. Could have been. Well, it also might have kept Lou from, from striking when he struck. You know, because uh, maybe they were on a two or three game losing streak. And so, oh, yeah, now people are, the shine is off. Let me strike now. He might have just uh, waited till the season played out and see it. And if he had another great season, just leave it alone. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. Yeah. So, uh, oh, Sam, you can go. Sorry. Okay. So, I guess we talk about, seems like Lou Perkins might have, like, screwed up KU football a little bit, maybe. Uh, but like, also there's also this ticket scandal that just comes out and just which forces Luke Perkins to resign. Do you think that might have had like kind of like kind of like started a dumpster fire KU football a little bit because they've had to like because Turner Gill was starting out and then like 
usually when an AD, when you get a new AD, you're likely to make a, a coaching change at that point with the new AD because he wants to bring in his own, like, coaching staff, I guess. Yeah, I don't think that's why he did it, though, Zanger. I just felt that he didn't think that um, that Turner Gill was Big Ten, 12 caliber coach, just as Charlie Weiss wasn't a Big 12 caliber coach, uh, Zanger's first hire, and David Beatty wasn't a Big 12 caliber head coach. Uh, you know, and Les Miles at this point in his career is not a big 12 caliber head coach. Some of us age well, some age not as well. He's not aging well from what I can tell. <laughs> okay. When you were, when you were covering, so when Turner Gill got fired, before they hired Charlie Weiss, who would have been the, who should have been the guy that they should have pursued after? I remember first Mike Leach was in the, in the like rumors that there was, going after him but also that he had that like previous scandal at texas tech that got on fire so it seemed like a really high risk that they didn't really want to mess with but who would have been like the perfect hire after turner gill that might have maybe had maybe KU's would be a little bit different right now maybe more stable as a football program well i did a bunch of uh i did a called the coaching search blogs and wrote a, about a bunch of different guys and every single one of them would have worked out better and one of them was Mike Leach. But here's what happened with Mike Leach. Uh, you know, Zinger told Leach, well, our chancellor has to meet with you, and she can't meet with you until such and such a date. And uh, then we can, you know, and, and the way Washington State did it, the AD said, yeah, the ch chancellor, president, whatever it is, uh, doesn't need to meet you. They're leaving it up to me. Come work for us. You'll have independence. Uh, looked at the two situations. uh I'm not working for a chancellor or anybody else. I'm the head football coach. So he took that position rather than pursuing Kansas. And then other guys they wrote about, I think Matt Wells, who was at Utah State at the time. Um, uh, P.J. Fleck I wrote about, which would have been very unconventional because he was so young. I forget where he even was, but. Uh, he was doing well at Western Michigan, I think it was. Yeah, now, now he's at Minnesota. Yeah, all, yeah, all of them ended up climbing the ladder and stuff. It wasn't hard to see it. And here's a mistake that, that ADs often make. Instead of trying to get someone who is a good football coach, who would build a program, low growth is real growth. They want to win the press conference. There's nothing more irrelevant than winning the press conference. But the way they think they can win a press conference is with, with a big name. And press conferences are Gill, Weiss, and Beatty. All you had to do was go to the press conference, and I bet you every one of those ADs knew right then. They didn't need any more evidence. They knew they had screwed up. Because Turner Gill, he said, yeah, we're going to build a winning dynasty. He thought that was going to be easy. He was talking about a dynasty. How about winning games before you talk about a dynasty? You could tell he was not gonna. Uh, he was not up to the job. Charlie Weiss. You could tell at his press conference that he wasn't interested in this job. He was interested in the job for two reasons. He pretty much came right out and said it. Money. They threw too much money at him for him to refuse and to launch his son's coaching career. He even said, "Well, you know, five years and turn this around, and then I hand it over to a much more affordable Weiss." Uh, he thought that his, he really thought that he could do that. That was his interest. That's what brought him to Kansas. And 
you know, he never immersed in, in warrants or anything. Uh, he just took them for a ride. And uh, after a couple of years, realized that his style offense isn't going to work for a team that has a blocking disadvantage because his plays took longer to develop. And therefore, that those will work if you're the Patriots and you've got a better offensive line than the other team's defensive line. But that's never the case for Kansas once you get to Big 12 play. That's why Reesing was a perfect fit. They did have a good line then, but he made it a heck of a lot better by extending plays. Mm -hmm. Yeah. Um, so now that we're kind of on the topic of Kansas head coaches, let's kind of – I kind of want to get your thoughts on – the current head coach, Les Miles, um, hasn't has not you know has not been a great first two years. But I also don't think there was much to be expected in his first two years. Um, how long do you see maybe Les Miles sticking in Lawrence? And then you know if I guess if the time comes that he does get fired, you know what's what's an ideal coach for for the program. Well, I, I think that there'll be one more year and that'll be it. Um, it's a real bad sign when you see high, high turnover on the coaching staff because they know something's not right. They know that the program's not going in the right direction, doesn't have the right leadership. He was once a great football coach. He no longer is. Uh, it just seemed like, uh, you know, he's not what he once was. And um, that happens to some people. You know, some people age different from others and uh, must be a reason nobody touched him for two or three years or whatever it is uh, after the great record he had. And uh, I think Jeff Long should have vetted it a little bit better. And I just don't see him getting any better uh, in reversing this thing. So one more year, uh, maybe they win a game or two and, and then either he retires or uh, takes the money and they have to buy them out, you know. Uh, as far as who the um, a good replacement would be, I'm not that up on who the hot young coaches are, but I'll just give you a profile. First, you start with someone, you're hiring a football coach. So hire someone who is good at coaching football. That's your number one criteria. Number two, a bright, sharp individual. Because to be good at football, at coaching football, you got to be really bright, especially at that level when you're going to be at a recruiting disadvantage. Mark Mangino, super bright guy. Happens to be super well-read as well, which is a bonus. That doesn't have to be, you know, and your coach doesn't have to be, but he happens to be. Super bright guy. Uh, number three, um, someone who knows that it's, is realistic about the job, knows it's not going to be turned around overnight, and someone who has experience coaching. Uh, now, Mark Mangino wasn't a head coach. I think it would be a plus to get someone with experience as a head coach unless you're so blown away in an interview with an assistant that you think this guy really commands the room. He'll command the locker room. He knows what he's talking about. He'll be good. But, uh, you know, someone who wins, someone, look at the l levels, um, maybe someone from the MAC who wins. I remember I, when I did those coaching vlogs, I always had a bunch of guys from the MAC. The MAC always has good coaches. 
they just do. It's 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 funny how that works out. But that for for as long as time, you know, Nick Saban from Toledo, a bunch of examples. Uh, uh, Gary Pinkle from Toledo, just goes on and on. That conference has always had great guys. So you know, look and see who the hot uh, head coaches in those conferences. I think. You know, one of the guys they did the blog on was the Wyoming coach. The guy who's now Wyoming. He was North Dakota State. Before that, he was the D coordinator in Nebraska. Uh, you know, there are good football coaches out there who would love to coach Kansas. You know, look at the service academy guys. Uh, there are just a number of guys who are good football coaches. So that's where it's got to start. Don't think that you – don't overthink it. And here's how I think Zinger overthought it. Uh, with Harry Beatty. Well, we need to upgrade the recruiting, and really, he Texas is the place you get recruits, and he's a high school football coach in Texas at one time, and so was um, uh, Art Bryles. So, yeah, let's get the next Art Bryles. No, you're overthinking it. No, get a good football coach. If you have a good football coach who's a sharp, sharp guy in commander room, he can re- he'll recruit. Because a big part of recruiting, especially at Kansas, is figuring out who that two or three star is who should be rated a four star. And, you know, you've got to be a great judge of talent. So show some demonstrated ability. A guy who has shown some demonstrated ability is a great judge of talent and great at developing talent. There's no reason for them to keep swinging and missing. And they try to win press conferences with Charlie Weiss and Les Miles. And, and try to get a hotshot recruiter with David Beatty. And, uh, no, just get a good football coach. Yeah. I remember one thing you brought up during your time. I think this was like 2018 after they lost to Nichols State. Uh, you were talking about like how like they need, KU needs more of like uh, more people from the state of Kansas and like develop like into five stars. Uh, and then I looked at KU's uh, recruit recruiting class and it feels like there's only like one guy from the state of kansas do you think do you think uh, going out of state to uh, out of state recruiting is does a little bit more damage than like than like trying to get like trying to like balance it out you need to you think you should try to balance it out with in-state recruits and out-of-state recruits kind of like what they did with man you know yeah so i do think that there should be some in-state recruits of a fair amount of what you do with uh and you can't just insult the state and say, yeah, we'll, we'll make them all walk-ons. No. You take a, a few guys and give them scholarships, and then uh, you really get the big walk-on program going. And you, in the best of those walk-ons, you end up giving them scholarships for two, three, two or three years. And you redshirt guys, and you build it. So I do think there should be a Kansas base there. Yes, you do want to go to... Texas, and it's nice to get some guys from Louisiana, although those guys either end up being overrated or don't stick around, it seems like, in a lot of instances. But uh, so, I, yeah, you know, get it, because I'll tell you why. The advantage with Kansas is you're not going to get the best player from Texas. You And if you're going to get the best player who's a national recruit, your best chance is if he's in Kansas. Because that way his family and friends can come see him. Look at some of Kansas, uh, Kansas' best players going way back. John Riggins is from Kansas. John Hadel is from Kansas. Uh, 
Gale Sayers from Omaha. He was born in Wichita, which is Kansas. But, uh, you know, a lot of those, uh, John Zook is from Kansas. A lot, of, a lot of the best players they've ever had have been from Kansas. Now, if those players were from Texas, Kansas wouldn't have had a shot at them. But because it's the home school, the flagship university, they get a, they've got a shot at those guys. So go after them hard. And it could have got Isaiah Simmons. Come on. <laughs> <laughs> they tried. They tried. <laughs> um, I'm, you know, I've, um, I've kind of asked a good amount of questions about maybe the uh, just the state of Kansas athletics down the road. Sam, do you got any others that you're willing to ask, Tom? I uh, yeah, maybe this this is kind of KU, and then also a little bit not. Uh, who was the best opposing player that you covered at KU in both basketball and football? So what was the best basketball opposing player and what was the best football opposing player? Right off the top of my head, Kevin Durant at Allen Fieldhouse. He was phenomenal. Uh, you know, he sprained his ankle and still had like 37, and KU came back from a big deficit and won. But he, he was phenomenal. Uh, he was on fire. And it was really cool to see he was soaking it all in. He knew that this was going to be his one and only appearance at Allen Fieldhouse, and the crowd really gave him a great ovation, and it was a very, very cool day. So uh, clearly it was uh, Kevin Durant. As far as the best football, you know, Dominican Sue didn't have a real good game against Kansas his final year at Nebraska. Um, I tell you, uh, I'm trying to think of the running back, well, Adrian Peterson was at Oklahoma when I covered, so he was probably the best. But uh, Samaje Pirine, I uh, watched he, him he, rush he, for 427 yards, I think yeah, it was. He broke, didn't he break, he broke the, uh, what, Russian yard yeah. record for a game? Yep, and that night we go to the garage, which is a good place for a cheeseburger in, in, in Norman. And who's in there but Samaje Pirine? I turned to one of the guys. I was eating with him and said, well, look at him. Looks like he could play again. He said, well, he probably <laughs> could. He didn't get touched the whole game. <laughs> yeah. What was, uh, I guess, what, what was it like seeing Kevin Durant play in person at, at Allen Fieldhouse compared to Buddy Heald's, like, incredible performance, too? Yeah, Buddy Heald was great. That triple overtime game, uh, what do you have, 46 or something? Yeah. <laughs> yeah. I think what made Durant even cooler was it was his one and only time there, and you knew it, and he knew it, and you also knew that this was a player who was going to have a, a, a you know a better career than Buddy Hill. Buddy Hill's a fine player, but you knew that this was a a rare, rare player, one of the best on earth, and here he was, right in front of your eyes. <laughs> i tell you the most amazing single thing I saw at, at Allen Fieldhouse. So I'm sitting on the baseline, game ends, Oklahoma State beats Kansas, and Marcus Smart right there on the court, five to ten feet in front of me, does a backflip. It was <laughs> wild. <laughs> yeah, I, I remember that. that I, I was working in Boston. I told him that. Uh, he got a big smile. Yo, it's, yeah. it's funny, Tom, because – uh, I'm a big Celtics fan, and when 
they drafted him sixth overall. You know, my, you know, as a Kansas fan, I'm like, why? Why did we draft Marcus Smart? But, um, I mean, it's turned out obviously well for him and the Celtics because Smart's been, is one of the best defensive players in the game. But it's just funny, like, that you mentioned that because I was like, I remember I had mixed feelings when he got drafted uh, to Boston. <laughs> yeah, it'd be fun. To, it's always fun to go back and look at drafts and say, where, if they redrafted, where would he have gone, you know? Yeah. I mean, knowing what you know now, who would you have picked? Yeah, um, and then uh, and then uh, so I guess go back to the football. So you got to cover both Patrick Mahomes and Baker Mayfield when KU played Texas Tech and Oklahoma. Uh, what did you think of Patrick Mahomes and Baker Mayfield in, in college? And did you ever when you when you looked at, when you saw Mahomes play it in person when you covered? Did you did you see him like absolutely like exploding the way he did? And uh, no. No, I didn't. Uh, I thought he was a talented guy, but I thought he was more raw than he was. Um, one game in Lubbock, he got injured, and the guy who came in and played after him actually led KU up after KU did a decent job against Mahomes. Wasn't it Nick Simonic? Is that his name? Yeah, who was. Yep. Yeah, Simonic, I think is what Maybe. Yeah, that was the guy. And uh, But, no, I thought he was talented, and then... When I first thought he was going to be great was two things made me think it. One was uh, Reed moved up in the draft to get him, and he usually loves to shore up that offensive line with his picks and stuff. And for him to move up and get a quarterback, uh, you know, when they already had Alex Smith, I thought, wow. And then the other thing, though, before that was I saw a John, John Gruden show and he broke, there was a really good quarterback class with Deshaun Watson and everything, and I thought Watson was the best of them. Then I watched his show, and he broke it down, why he would pick Mahomes first out of all the quarterbacks. And, of course, that's not the way it went. Mitch Trubisky, I think, was the first one picked, wasn't he? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, and so I thought, wow, he really explained it well. Mahomes is going to be good. He's going to be real good. And sure enough, and uh, I asked Gruden about that when I went to the NFL meetings and there was a coach's breakfast where you can go table to table sit at any table and listen to the guy or ask him questions and he was my favorite coach to interview in the whole nfl i just uh you know that glare on tv looks a little forced or something it's not he was a really personable guy i really am glad that i got to do that coach's breakfast because he i really really enjoyed interviewing him gruden's grinders (laughs) yeah and then, uh, and then, okay. so uh, 2017, obviously you covered the Oklahoma, KU Oklahoma game. Baker Mayfield has that controversial incident where he grabs his crouch and then yells at some uh, foul language towards the sideline. <laughs> did you think, did you think when he's, did you think like this guy's going to be like a problem in the NFL possibly like after that game? Did you like think like, that there, no NFL team should take a risk at Baker Mayfield after you uh, covered that game? Uh, I didn't think nobody should take a risk, but it did enter my mind he could be a problem. And I'll tell you what what's big in sports and you have to guard against is pattern recognition. Okay, if you're drafting a power forward, right away your pattern recognition in your brain says, well, he's got to be 6'9 and, and muscular and stuff like that. Well, one of the best power forwards in the history 
game was Charles Barkley, who's about six four and a half. So you try to guard against pattern recognition. And what uh, what probably in my mind and other minds hurt uh, Mayfield in terms of pattern recognition is what a bust that Johnny Football was, Johnny Manziel. And you had the brash, mouthy guy, and he was like the brash, mouthy light compared to Manziel. But you thought, is this another Johnny Manziel situation where he's going to bust? And that game, I remember well, because I went over to the uh, Oklahoma side. I thought that's where the story was when their interviews and stuff. And I was trying to get Mayfield to tell me who he was gesturing toward on the sideline. And I thought it might have been Cassius Sendish, who was a, a volunteer assistant then or student assistant. And maybe they had some history. Maybe Cassius intercepted him or something the previous year or something. But... And I tried to get him to say who it was, and he, he wouldn't. And then he, he's, he's walking out of the room, he turns and glares at me as if I'm going to be intimidated. What are you going to do, punch me? Give me a break. Please punch me. I'd have a great story. <laughs> oh, my gosh. That is awesome. <laughs> I just rem- yeah, I remember that game. I remember I knew this big game was going to be really heated, like at the coin toss. I remember, I think it was like Joe Deneen and uh, Dorian Armstrong, like, put their hands behind their back when Baker was trying to like shake their hands. And I remember Baker just clapping and I knew this, and I, I kind of got, I was kind of worried a little bit that like, I didn't want to see anything bad happen to Baker. Cause I knew, OU had a really good chance of winning the national championship that year and would bring another title to the big 12 and help hope the uh, big 12 out in uh, football, football wise. So that was definitely one of the most interesting games I watched. Yeah, it wasn't Dorrance Armstrong. I think it was Daniel Wise and uh, Joe Deneen, and I forget who another captain was, but I thought that was Bush League. You don't do that. Um, and why try to fire up the opposing quarterback? Although they played him pretty tough most of the game. If I recall correctly, they got off to a good start against uh, Mayfield. And so maybe it kind of worked, but I didn't like it. You know, it was like, who, who are you to be dissing this guy? Yeah. yeah, especially when you had those two early losses against when you couldn't really compete against the MAC teams, and you're trying to like try to like do some bush league stuff against like the best team in your own conference. I just think that was just a really bad look for the KU football program. Just kind of like showed like the state of like the players, and like, they just seemed like they just didn't care that they just seemed like they're just seeking attention that day, and I didn't think that was very. A very good look for a, for the program. Yeah, I didn't either, and uh, they haven't had many good looks in quite a few years now. As far as this year's Kansas basketball team, uh, I think it's clearly uh, the result of some un-Kansas like, like not quite Kansas tier recruiting, and because of the investigation that is dragged down the NCAA investigation, other coaches use that against. And see, it's unavoidable, and it's just dragged on for so long. And ask yourself this question. When, first, you can ask yourself, who is the best player on this Kansas team? And that's often a hard question to answer because they do have a lot of balance a lot of times. I mean, would you say Ochaya Abaji? Would, would you say Garrett? Would you say Jalen Wilson? I, I don't know. Who would you say is the best player on this Kansas team? Feels like the most important player right now feels like David McCormick. He's been a 
they've been running the offense through him, and he's that he's really done a good job scoring the ball. He's and he's uh, getting rebounds, but this KU team needs to try to like if they're gonna like have a chance at like making a possible run in March. I feel like they need to like make the game as ugly as possible and be able to get those like key fifty fifty balls and be able to like get some get to the foul get to the foul line a lot. Which I which I think if McCormick can get to the foul line a lot, he'll be even be more viable because he's got like such a nice stroke at the foul line and he's shooting like eighty yeah. percent. I think if you get him to the free throw line, try to get him like at least eight eight free throw attempts a game, I think KU will be in really good shape. They're okay, so let's say you say McCormick, Sam says, let's say Sam says Jalen Wilson, and I say Marcus Garrett. Whoever you're going to pick there as the best player, now ask yourself this follow-up question. When's the last time you can remember that Kansas had a team where they didn't have at least one player better than this year's best player? I don't think I don't think there is one because even like I was thinking about some of the like worst like the oh five oh six team like Brandon Rush was like first team all Big Twelve had a sensational season then like the twenty fourteen twenty fifteen team you had you had a Perry Ellis that year and then uh, I think the twenty eighteen twenty nineteen had Dietrich Lofton who averaged uh, almost averaged a double double yeah I, I, and I look back and. Uh, during Self's tenure, I look back and my answer is every single year their best player has been better than their best player this year. So that it's just a talent. The talent isn't typical Kansas talent, and the reason for that is the NCAA investigation has hurt their recruiting. So once that's behind them, uh, you know, I think you'll see the recruiting yeah. return typical uh-huh. level. And you'll see him back in Final Fours. I still, yeah. I still say that uh, last year's team, if there was no, uh, if the NCAA tournament happened, would have cut the nets down. It was, it was the first year in a little while that I felt like Kansas had the best team in the country, and that they were going to win. And here's the reason: they covered a lot of great Kansas defensive teams. This was the best defensive team I can remember for this reason. They were every bit as good defending the perimeter as the interior. They've always been good at defending the interior because they're very physical and they're yeah. just always athletic big men, tough big men. And their perimeter defense with with, with Garrett and, and uh, you know Dotson, Dotson was, was terrific. They yeah. they they just were so hard to score against, I really felt as if Kansas, you know how the tournament is, all it takes is one bad game and you're, or one bad half and you're out, but I really felt strongly that Kansas was going to win the tournament. Yeah. yeah I, one of my reasons why I thought we're, we would win the tournament is I felt Yudoka as, as we was playing the best ball of his career and he just looked really unstoppable. Like He was just a nightmare matchup. Like, how are you going to be able to get stop this guy from like getting alley-oop dunks, especially Dotson getting downhill. Like all he needs to do is just get like another guy to get off of Azubuki and just lob it up and Azubuki will just jam it every time. Yeah. I just felt like our weirdest both both ends. Azubuki was an absolute nightmare. So you had a great perimeter player in Dotson 
a great center in Azabuke, and a great glue guy in Marcus Garrett, and all three were tremendous defenders. I mean, they that was a, a just a tremendous basketball team. Yeah, mm-hmm. and I, I do think kind of Tom, why you brought up that point about like their best player, you know. I, I do think it, it hurts like when you lose guys like Dotson and Azubuke. It is tough to replace those guys in one season, but like you mentioned, if you don't have a clear number one like this team has, it's tough uh, to win consistently. And that team, I mean, Dot- well, you know, I think other Kansas teams didn't have a clear number one because they had so many good guys, including the national title team. So I don't think it's that they don't have a clear number one. I just think it is that the talent isn't what it normally is from one right through, you know. I mean, they don't have a superstar, whereas that team that won the national team title had five superstars. Yeah, and I think because all – I mean, that 2018, even though they had – they had a lot of balanced scoring, but any given night – one of those guys, whether it was you know Brandon Rush, Mario Chalmers, Darrell Arthur, those guys, every, any one of them could put twenty five points on you. Uh, Collins off the bench as Sean well. Collins, like in this team, it's just you know this year's team, you, you might get lucky to get a guy that can put eighteen on it on it on a given night. So, um, well, Brown can get hot. Akbaji can get hot. But it's not consistent. They've been up and – I mean, it hasn't been yeah. as smooth. Uh, I do think maybe next year, if if there is no allegations next year, uh, you know, if they return a lot – if they return most of that roster, you know, Bryce Thompson uh, has played a little bit of a, a role off the bench this year. If, if they bring back that entire roster next year and gain more experience, I think they'll be a much tougher team to deal with. But – I, I do think experience does matter in college basketball now. Like I think a big reason why Gonzaga and Baylor are the two best teams in a COVID season is they returned everybody. They have so much experience with their juniors and seniors. Now it helps that you know Jared Butler is probably. I mean, he's not. I don't think he's going to win Player of the Year, but Jared Butler is in the conversation. Uh, Corey Kispert and and Jalen Suggs are in the conversation, but. Those guys have so much experience, uh, and for Kansas, you know, losing two All Americans and two Player of the Year candidates in one season, in one off season, is tough to to you know bounce back from. Yeah, that's why Self has just been amazing at reloading through the years. When you know, uh, uh, two thousand eight, two thousand nine, I think they uh, had after the national title. Uh, Maybe it was a year after that. No, no, no. You know, you're oh, right. Oh, 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 eight, oh, nine. Yeah, they they had they lost their yeah they lost almost their entire roster. They they basically had to yeah. rely on Sharon well, Collins had, as a junior, and then Cole Aldridge, who didn't really have much playing time uh, as a freshman. He transformed his entire game in 2009. Like that was probably one of Sal's best coaching jobs. Yeah, I think they're all good, though. The guy's just really, really smart and uh, really aggressive. And his teams take on his personality. You don't see many um, many bad shots taken by Kansas through the years. 
And you see them be very aggressive in the lane defensively, and you see them be very aggressive offensively without taking bad shots. So they're very aggressive as far as playing physically. So he's an aggressive, aggressive guy self. I mm-hmm. mean, he's got the disarming term, but this guy's aggressive and yeah. confident. And he gets his players to play aggressively and confidently. And there's no greater compliment that you can say than for a team to take on the personality of its coach. Al McGuire's teams always did that, and Bill Self's teams always do that. Yeah, man. Sam and I are very fortunate that you were able to come on and talk about Kansas Athletics in great detail. Really great detail. Retail, uh, more than us because you, you've covered the Jayhawks for a long time. So we appreciate you taking the time. Sure. And I appreciate you having me. I really enjoyed it. Thank you very much, Tom. I'm very, I always, I really enjoyed uh, your time in Lawrence. Uh, enjoyed your insights and uh, I wish you the best. Thank you. I appreciate it. I wish you two guys the best as well. Thanks for having me.